for tuning into the 510th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros Daryl D. Lane. As always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Got a great pod for all you guys today. Going to have Jason Bailey on host of the South End Zone podcast. We talk about a lot of stuff, Alabama football. Auburn versus Alabama, the Iron Bowl, some of his favorite Iron Bowl memories. We also get into who's going to replace Nick Saban at Alabama. He has a very interesting name that I've actually never heard before. And we talk about just, you know, being an Alabama fan, you know, all the news that goes in that, always being hated. Uh, teams he hates, teams he loves, stuff like that. Really interesting conversation. Really enjoyed having Jason on the pod. Now, before we get to that conversation, I'm going to get my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also share this podcast to friends and family, whether via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you'd most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at nightstrain underscore lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. And you will find it. I post two to five minute clips for this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if I'm at Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then fret not, worry not, folks. But just don't say anything because you know what your mama told you: if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And now it's time for one of my monologues that my good friend Kenny Sim loves so very much. So. A lot of times in society, there are things that we've already decided. Like, it's like, if you're a Republican, you're always going to vote Republican. If you're a Democrat, you're always going to vote Democrat. It's like Trump, Biden, they're both the worst things ever. You can actually, either side, they'll say they're the worst thing ever, right? And it's like, there's no changing, right? We've already made up our mind in that aspect, how we feel, one aisle or the other, right or left. It's either right or wrong, good or bad, right? We've made that decision. And in sports, we kind of do this too. It's like, who's the go? It's either Michael Jordan or LeBron James. No room for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all-time leader and point scored in the NBA, by the way. No room for Bill Russell, 11 championships, more than any other player. It's either LeBron or Jordan. Pick a side. And trust me, if you're a LeBron fan or a Jordan fan, you're not budging either way. Because it's either, oh, Michael Jordan, 6 and 6-0, and right? Or it's LeBron, oh, he took his team to 10 finals, oh, he beat the Golden State Warriors, oh, he does so many things, oh, Michael Jordan's a killer, right? It's impractical to argue with either side on the issue. Bill Belichick, is he still the greatest coach in the NFL? I possibly think so. I, I don't know if he's the best coach, maybe there's Andy Reid, but a lot of people, they won't have that discussion, right? Because Bill Belichick has six Super Bowls, and it's like, well, the last three or four years without Tom Brady, the Patriots haven't exactly been stellar, and we've seen with... Andy Reid and a guy like that is done with the Patrick Mahomes and how dominant the Chiefs have been over that stretch. And it's like, just because you were the best coach from 2000 to 2020 doesn't mean you're going to keep being the best coach from 2020 to 2030. But again, people won't believe that. People won't buy that. That's not something you can sell to people. I argue with friends all the time. I have one friend, he, with USC football, he's always tells me, he's like, Daryl, USC football will never have a good quarterback in the NFL. I'm always like, Carson Palmer. And he's like, oh, that was a one-time situation. I'm like, oh, Matt Castle made a Pro Bowl. And he's like, nope, 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 nope. They're cursed. They will never have a good QB in the NFL. Look at Sam Darnold. Bust. Look at Matt Leinart. Bust. 
Look at Mark Sanchez, bust. They all couldn't play. Probably when he talks to me about Caleb Williams next year for the draft, he's going to be like, Caleb Williams, bust. He went to USC. I asked him, what about if Patrick Mahomes went to USC? You know what he said? Oh, Patrick Mahomes wouldn't go to USC. And I'm like, okay, you can't argue with him. It's like arguing with a brick roll, right? You're not going to get a response. Another friend, Justin Herbert and Matthew Stafford. He has a thing with both those quarterbacks. He thinks both of them are overrated, not very good, and clearly not top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. When Matt Stafford won the Super Bowl, drove them down late to win and beat the Cincinnati Bengals, you know what he still said? Matthew Stafford isn't that good. It's just Cooper Cup and Sean McVay and Aaron Donald. Matthew Stafford had nothing to do with it. You can't convince him. There's no there's no point of arguing, right? And that's kind of where I'm at with the MVP in the NFL. Because it's deteriorated to QB, 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 and more QB, right? Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. The only thing that matters is quarterback. And it's like, well, there's 11 people on the field, right? And an offensive, defense, the offensive line has to block. So it's not just the quarterback, but you can't tell anybody that anywhere. So I hate the MVP. It's too quarterback-centric for me. And that's why when people call me, and they'll be like, Daryl, who do you think should win the MVP? I'll be like, oh, Josh Allen. And I'm like, now Patrick Mahomes. I've never once said Jalen Hurts. I think that's absolutely crazy. Right. And I think it's crazy because we propped the QB up because, right, Jalen Hurts, the Eagles, best record in the NFL, having a fantastic season. I will not take anything away from Jalen Hurts. He's a lot better than I thought he would be as I scouted him coming out of Alabama. Probably a top 10 quarterback, top 15 for sure, but for sure not top five. And in my opinion, he has no place in the MVP conversation. Because we don't talk about guys like Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Micah Parsons, Justin Jefferson, Derrick Henry, all who are having fantastic seasons on winning teams, on playoff teams. And have been big reasons for those teams' success. But we never mention a single name because it's quarterback, 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 best record. Right? Same song and dance over and over and over again. There's never anything different. And I'm not a fan. Because all those guys on playoff teams, great statistical seasons, impact on winning, no MVP talk. But we want to keep talking about Jalen Hurts when those guys can't even get a sniff of the conversation. If you ask me right now, who's my league MVP? I'd say Patrick Mahomes. If we're going by the QB metric, right? Patrick Mahomes, uh, the Chiefs ask him to do a bevy of things, can make any throw in the book, elevates the Chiefs offense to being one of the best in the NFL. And he's done it without Tyreek Hill losing the best deep throw, in my opinion, the best receiver in the NFL. And second would either be Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson for doing the QB thing and not uh, mentioning those names who I believe all deserve a place in the MVP conversation, particularly guys like Micah Parsons, Tyreek Hill, and Justin Jefferson. Those three for sure deserve their names in the MVP conversation. But we want to talk about Jalen Hurts, right? And let's talk about Jalen. Yes, the Eagles have the best record in the NFL. Yes, he is the quarterback. Yes, he puts up good numbers. Also, Eagles, best offensive line in the NFL. Pretty good weapons. Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. Solid running back, Miles Sanders. Pretty good offense. When you can run the ball for three yards a clip, every play, that's really nice to do. Also, we talk about Jalen Hurts and the QB sneak. You don't want to know what makes that QB sneak so effective. Jason Kelsey and the interior offensive line, they get push on the defensive interior line with the defensive tackles every single time and just blow them back. Makes it really easy to get the QB sneak. And also, they'll put a running back in the backfield right behind Jalen Hurts, right on just right next to his spot, like literally right next to him, right behind his back. And then he'll push him forward. But yet Jalen Hurts gets the credit. It's a team game. And Jalen Hurts, like I said, he's phenomenal. No shade, no hate on Jalen Hurts. But he's not the most important person on the Eagles. You know it and I know it. 
ask yourself this. If Jalen Hurts wasn't on the Eagles, and let's put Derek Carr, would their record be that much different? Really? Would it? You know the answer to that. If you put Dak Prescott on the Eagles, would their record be that different? No. No matter really who you put on the Eagles, they're going to be a good team. The Eagles are a quarterback independent team. Right? The quarterback makes it really nice. Obviously, Jalen Hurts, he fits really well with what they do. He does a lot of things intangibly that I love. But the Eagles are going to be a good team no matter what. Their roster just dictates that. And you want to also want to know what? When your defense is leading the NFL in turnovers and you get short fields every time, that's really nice for a QB in an offense too. In terms of value, quarterbacks, right? MVP, most valuable player. Keyword on the middle word, the V, the value. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, all more valuable QBs to their team. Justin Herbert is also a more valuable QB on his team. I wouldn't put him in the MVP conversation, but he's more valuable to the Chargers than Jalen Hurts is to the Eagles. Without Lamar Jackson, the Ravens would be nowhere on offense. They have no receivers, their offensive line is mediocre, and their running backs are eh, okay. And their defense has been particularly kind of underwhelming. They'd be nothing without Lamar. Patrick Mahomes. Without Patrick Mahomes making, oh, I'm going to make this scramble to the right. Oh, I'm going to throw this off my back foot, sidearm, 40 yards down the field. Oh, I'm going to do all this stuff without Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs will be nowhere without Patrick Mahomes. The Buffalo Bills. They ask Josh Allen to drop back, throw it, shotgun, no running game at all. And then when they do run the ball, they're like, hey, Josh, let's do QB power. Run it with you, Josh. They ask a lot out of Josh. They don't ask the same things out of Jalen Hurts. So remember, when we talk about MVP and most valuable, have your mind open. To the fact that, one, QB doesn't always mean most valuable when you should win MVP. And two, Jalen Hurts, not the true MVP because he's not the most valuable person. Great season, all respect to Jalen Hurts, but not the most valuable player in the league. And nothing's wrong with that. Russell Wilson was never the most valuable player in the in the league. Ben Roethlisberger was never the most valuable player in the league. Both of those are Hall of Fame quarterbacks. No need to be MVP to be a Hall of Famer. Don't need to be an MVP to win Super Bowls, right? Just saying. And get up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Jason Bailey on the show. Get up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Jason Bailey, host of the South End Zone Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good, Daryl. You doing all right up there in the freezing cold? Um, freezing cold compared to what it is down here anyway. Actually, I will tell you this. I'm actually in Philadelphia right now. Uh, I don't live in Buffalo anymore. Uh, oh, well. well but still cold in Philadelphia. <laughs> I was about to say, that's cold enough, man. I, I worked in Pennsylvania for a while. It's, it's still too cold yeah. for me. I, I prefer the South. Yeah. But there is a difference, I will say. Difference between weather in Pennsylvania in January and December versus weather in Buffalo. You know, probably 10, 15 degrees <laughs> colder, two to three more inches of snow. So a little bit different. But yeah, it, it's not fabulous <laughs> weather here either. <laughs> 
So my first thing for you is this, right? You're a big Alabama fan. Uh, Alabama kind of shellacks Auburn, put up 49 points on them. What was your thoughts of the game? I'll say this. It was uh, kind of refreshing as an Alabama fan to watch that game because if you – like there's a lot of frustration with the fan base right now with Bill O'Brien and most of the fan base wants him gone. And that's because I think a lot of the scheme has changed to the point where they're kind of like a, it's almost like an air raid philosophy. You know, they want to throw it 52 times a game with Bryce Young. And I mean, that's, that's great. You know, some years, if you've got the dudes out wide or what have you, but I think a lot of Alabama fans prefer that sort of old school blue collar type run the ball, you know, what drill your opponent into the ground and grind them into dust and, it was refreshing to watch Alabama do that against Auburn. They ran 64 plays, and 34 of them were runs. And so that's something we haven't really seen a lot of the season. And so, I mean, I don't think anybody have really expected Auburn to be very good in the back half of the season since they fired Brian Harson. But it was uh, it was nice as an Alabama fan to get a convincing victory there at home to close out the year. You think Bill O'Brien's going to come back to Alabama? I don't know, honestly. I, I think he's probably a better fit in the NFL, given what he likes to do, you know, or maybe in a pass-happy type offensive scheme somewhere in the Big Twelve. But I mean, if he was going to be at a power, you know, at a power five job, I feel like it would have already been announced. And I don't see him being the type of guy who takes a lower-level college job. So. It wouldn't shock me to see him go back to the NFL if he were to leave. Who would you like to see as the Alabama offensive coordinator if Bill O'Brien just let go? <laughs> uh, put me on the spot. Well, uh, if he if he called every game like he did the Auburn game, then I would have no problem with him coming back. But given what I've seen, I would probably prefer to have somebody else who – you know, is going to play to our strengths a little better because just some of the questionable calls throughout the year, you know, you, you, you've got the ball and it's second and four and they've got three down linemen and you're going, okay, well, run the ball. And they drop back and take a sack. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, we've got a great running back handing the ball and gain four yards. Like, it just it, it happens a lot. They get down to the goal line and they get kind of cute, try to throw the ball. Instead of what you used to see, it was just like a heavy package and hand it off three times and score. It's like they just they try to do too much, you know what I mean? So, me personally, I would like to see them sort of take it back because if you look at um, what Alabama used to be, I mean, look at Georgia football right now. That's exactly the formula. I mean, Kirby Smart took that formula to Georgia with him when he left. You know, a power run game sort of a game manager at quarterback and a ferocious defense. And that's what Alabama used to be. And they've kind of gotten away from that. And I think a lot of people want to see him go back to that. So. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. I feel like Nick Saban kind of made a pivot at some point during this run where he was kind of like, that was the style when they had guys like, you know, A.J. McCarron, uh, Jake Coker, Blake Sims, uh, and all, Greg McElroy, where it was, you know, Power eye formation. We're going to run the football with all these good running backs. We're going to play tough defense. Kind of like that Georgia style, how they play with Stetson Bennett. 
But I do think there was kind of a point where it's kind of like, okay, now we have two. We want to throw it. Now we have, you know, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, you know, Mac Jones, all these guys who are more pro NFL passers. And it's kind of like we're going to open up the playbook and we're just going to throw it around. And that's kind of how football has been evolving, right? You see that at the NFL level and really it's starting to seep into the college level. Uh, so what do you think of that? Well, and then that's you make a great point there because that's really and that's why I said kind of earlier touched on if you have the dudes, I think that's great because if you look at last season and Alabama throwing it you know forty five fifty times a game, no big problem when you've got Jameson Williams and John Mechie out wide to torch defenses. But you kind of saw it in the national championship when you know Williams is down hurt, Mechie's down hurt. They don't have the dudes out wide to you know take the top off the defense. And they can't throw the ball effectively because nobody's getting open. And this year, I mean, it, it's it's pretty simple. Like, Alabama just doesn't have the dudes out wide that they've had in the past. They don't have a Jalen Waddle. They don't have a Jerry Judy or a Devontae Smith. They don't have those guys out wide. So you would think that if you don't have those guys, you would utilize your other strengths better and try to do some things that work, you know. Like, like the other day, they ran a jet sweep in the Auburn game. That's the first one I've seen all season. I'm like, why? What, what, you know, we gained nine, ten yards on it. I'm like, where's that been all year? It's just, you know, they, like I say, some of the play calling, a little bit questionable. And who knows? Maybe Bill O'Brien stuck his foot in the ground and said, this is what we're going to do. If you don't like it, fire me. I, I don't know. But some, some part of me just wonders, like, why Saban was okay with some of that this year. And maybe it got to the point where, you know, it's like, hey, we're not going to do that anymore, Bill. If you're going to stick around, we're going to run the ball. And that's why they've been running it real heavy the last two games. So, I don't know. So, I want to go back to Auburn, Alabama for a minute. Uh, so, you said you were 38. Uh, Cor- correct, yeah. So, what's been your most hectic Auburn, Alabama game you've gotten to watch as a fan? <sighs> Probably, I would have to go back to like 2010. You know, when they had uh, that time frame, when Alabama had just really become good and won the title in 09, and then Auburn got Cam Newton in 2010. And Cam, we were up 24-3, to 3, I think it was, at halftime, and Cam Newton brings them all the way back, and they end up winning. Like, that era of Alabama-Auburn, even all the way up to 2015, you know, when Derrick Henry was there, and, they, you know, it was like a 56-49 to 49 type game. That era of Alabama Auburn was just absolutely nuts. So, you know, the, the early Malzahn years, I guess. But, yeah, 2010 was probably the wildest sort of heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean, it's weird to bring up a loss. But, you know, and I would put probably last year's game at number two. It was amazing. You know, it was four overtimes. So it uh, it's been a a really fun matchup to watch. I still think it's one of the best rivalries, if not the best, to watch on TV. You know, some years it's down, like this year, but others it's an absolute war. And you can never, you can sort of just throw out the records. It's a lot like Michigan-Ohio State, you know. Yeah, for me, it's that 2013 one, the kick six. Uh... Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) One of the most... Figured you would mention that. Yeah, no, I, I always tell people, I'll never forget where I was. I was like a freshman in high school. I remember just watching it with my dad, and I'm like, this is history. Like, Because it was crazy, because that year Alabama was undefeated. Uh, and I personally think if you know they win that game, 
that they'd probably be Florida State in the national championship game. And that just changes college football history, you know, forever. How we look at Jimbo Fisher and everything. But that's just one of the most improbable ways to lose a football game. I remember exactly what I was doing. I was actually leaving work at the time, and I stepped into the break room to watch it. And I was like, well, it's up. It's not going to be good because we're 60 yards out. He catches it. I was like, what? There's no cover team on the field. It's a bunch of linemen. They're not going to tackle him. Please be a flag. Okay, no flag. We lose. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's how our season ends. Great. Fantastic. I don't want to hear anything from Auburn ever again. And God, they showed it on TV. Even up to like last year. I mean, I still, I still see a kick six video every year on the SEC on CBS before the season starts. You know, so. So for Auburn. So you called it as it was going on. Strikes again. So you called it as it was going on. You knew that it it was going to end. It was going to end poorly, even before the kick happened. Yeah, I mean that. You know, it's. It was a, a guy who had never attempted a field goal in a college game. He's kicking a 61-yard field goal. Not good. So, just, you know, it happens. Whatever. It's years ago. We've uh, <laughs> we've redeemed ourselves a few times since then, but uh, Auburn fans do like to hang on to it. And if I was an Auburn fan, so would I. <laughs> you know, it's also really interesting, too, this year when these teams like LSU or Tennessee beat Alabama and they stormed the field. And I do want to know your opinion of this as an Alabama fan, right? It's kind of like on an end, you're beating a team that typically has dominated the SEC and particularly the SEC West. But sometimes it's kind of like, does everybody need to storm the field when you beat Alabama? <laughs> like, I, I, I get it, but it just like, because my, my thing is like, if Alabama beats you, it's just business as usual. Like, is it that special? Like, are you so afraid it'll never happen again? It's like you're clinging to something. Like, we need to remember this. Well, I get why people do it. I I could understand it in, like, Tennessee's situation where it's been since 2006 since you've beat them. You know, I I could understand it in that situation. But it it does. It's gotten to the point where now it seems like every time a team beats Alabama, they storm the field. And I think that's a testament to Saban. You know, he's built a standard of what everybody's trying to be. And you could argue now that Georgia has kind of become the standard and that everyone's looking up to them. But, you know, and maybe they go on a run of dominance for the next decade and people start storming the field when they beat Georgia. But, it, you know, I, I don't think it really necessarily affects Alabama fans one way or another. You know, we just kind of look at it like we would never storm the field. I mean, we went through a period – as fans where we stunk. We were terrible. Like the early 2000s, I remember, you know, 2003, when I was a senior in high school, we went like four and eight that year. I mean, we were terrible. You know, we went through the whole, you know, multiple coaches in a six-month span, Mike Price disaster. I mean, it just, it was bad. So I've been on the other side of it where we were terrible and we lost to Auburn six times in a row. But after six straight losses to Auburn, when we beat them 36 nothing in 08, we didn't storm the feet. You know, it just, I don't know if it's a certain arrogance with the Alabama fan base or what it may be, but it's just kind of never been our thing. I don't know. Like you said, business as usual, I guess, but I'll be the first to admit that we have one of the worst fan bases in sports. <laughs> so, you know, they're, uh, they're pretty spoiled and, you know, it's uh, not surprising that they would be a little bit arrogant, like, oh, well, we're not going to storm the field. So, 
Doesn't doesn't shock me at all. I don't think Alabama's ever stormed the field, have they? Not not since I've been paying attention to football. You know, not I've I've never seen it. Perhaps before I was alive, they did. I, I don't know, but I've been paying attention to football since about the fifth grade, and I've never seen it. So. Mm-hmm. What do you think would have to happen for Alabama fans to storm the field? Like, how bad would it have to get? They would have to beat the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so it's never happening. <laughs> no, no, it's not going to happen. Buffalo would drop 150 of them. They would have to go to Buffalo and beat Buffalo and storm the opponent's field. Like, I just, I don't see it happening. I don't think. Now, that being said, you know, I joke around all the time with, you know, people or my kids or whatever that 25 years from now I'm going to be looking back on the glory days of Saban and telling my grandkids how, well, back in my day when Saban was the coach, we used to be great and now we stink. You know, we're losing to old Miss or somebody. So it's up and down. It goes in cycles. You know, we'll be good for a while. Eventually we won't be good. You know, you look at Nebraska right now. They were good. They went – 60 and 5 in a five year span, won three national titles. Nobody's heard from them since. So, do you think, as an Alabama fan, like what's happened the last 10, 15 years has been obviously it's kind of unrealistic, right? That, and eventually, as you mentioned, things will taper off because it's impossible to keep this success. But when it tapers off, the fans are going to be kind of really appreciate and be like, wow, like we were part of like one of the greatest. Not even college football runs. One of the greatest sports runs in like of American sports in history, right? Like, well, I think I think the logical fan will appreciate it, and if they don't already, they're wrong. You know, they you should already appreciate how lucky you are. I mean, as a Bama fan, or I mean, even like uh, take it to the NFL, like a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Like, if you're a Chiefs fan, you should feel extremely lucky your team is as good as they are and they've been so dominant for two to three years now Alabama fans it's next level they've been dominant since 2008 won you know five national titles or six whatever it is now and it's our fan base is spoiled and the first sign of trouble you know they you'll hear people or see people on Twitter oh fire Saban and I'm like stop you even watch football you have no idea how lucky you are, you know. So I, I'm not the type of Bama fan who. I mean, you, you know. I mean, we met through podcasting. I mean, I, I don't go on my podcast and pump up Alabama because no, nobody wants to hear it. You know, it's the Alabama fatigue is real. You know. Yeah, and also kind of what's it like, you know? Everybody hates your team. Everybody wants to see you guys. It's like it's kind of like everybody's happy. <laughs> Well, you just kind of, you, you try not to be too egotistical. And you try to see it from the other team's perspective. Honestly, I probably used to be worse, Daryl. I, I really did. <laughs> but, but doing, getting older and doing a podcast on my own that, that covers a national base of college football, it has really sort of leveled me out a little bit to where, you know, I, I do try to, because initially I got into it and I thought to myself, well, I need to try and give other teams respect, you know, and include them on the show because that'll obviously increase your listener base if you're talking about other teams. But over time, you start to look at it and you do begin to respect other teams and other programs. And 
how they do business and how they win ball games and things of that nature. And, you know, crazy things happen, man. I mean, you never know what's going to happen on a college football Saturday. It's nuts all the time. So it's just a great and wonderful sport, and I hope it never changes. But, you know, it seems like it's changing every five minutes at this rate. Who's the program you respect the most? Aside from Alabama? Yes. Man, that's a tough one. Nobody's ever really asked me that. I would say up until this point, like the last, if, if you're going to, okay, I'll, I'll, like the last six, We can have a few choices. Years, yeah, if I, if I was going to say the last six, seven years, I would say Clemson. I think Dabo, you know, is a good character guy. He took a pay cut, so a lot of his assistants could be retained, guys like Venables, so he could pay up higher salaries. You know, this is when Clemson first started getting really good. He took a pay cut so his assistants could get higher salaries, you know, so he could hire staff analysts and recruiting analysts and all kinds of stuff, you know, dietitians, crazy stuff like that. So I respect Dabo a lot, the way he conducts himself and the way he does business. Now, I mean, every coach has faults, but he's kind of loyal to a fault. I think he... uh, Definitely probably needs to start looking outside the program for transfers, fresh ideas on offense, if you will. But I do respect a lot about what Clemson does and what they're about. You know, they they sort of preach that team loyalty. You know, we don't want a bunch of transfers in here. If you don't want to be on our team, we'll let you transfer out. But, you know, we're, we're going to recruit and develop the players we have. It's kind of an old school approach, and I appreciate that. Who's a team now that you have no respect for? You're just like, I hate how they do business. <laughs> man. Well, I got to tell you, I usually try to give Auburn a lot of credit, man. I really do. But I don't really know what to make of the Hugh Freeze hire. Because, I mean, you know, they hired Hugh Freeze today from Liberty. So, <sighs> Auburn has just gotten to the point now where they will hire whoever. And they don't care about baggage. They don't care about the character. All they care about is winning. And, you know, if you're going to hire guys like Bruce Pearl and Hugh Freeze, then that screams, we don't care about, you know, I don't know why they didn't swing for the fences and just hire Urban Meyer. (laughs) 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 You know, like if you're going to hire a guy like that and a guy like Bruce Pearl. Or make a call to John Gruden. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, let's go to, let's go, let's just go big and get Gruden and Byer. Yeah, get them both. Why not? So, you know, it's, I don't have a ton of respect for, for teams that go out and hire just complete dirtbags. And, you know, maybe Hugh Freeze has really turned his life around. Who knows? I mean, he preaches all that stuff about he's giving his life to Christ and all that. And I, you know, I hope so. You know, good for him. But at the same time, it's like, mm, questionable hire, but aside from Auburn, man, I, I'm not an Ohio State fan. I'll say that. I, <laughs> they are one of the most consistently overrated and overbloated teams that I know of in college football. It seems like here lately anyway, every time they get into a big game, they get smoked. And yet they consistently keep being ranked in the top five. I just, 
don't get it. I'm like, they play one good team a year, maybe two, and then they get smoked once they get to the playoffs or, you know, against Michigan. And they, yeah, we're still sitting here talking about, oh, well, they, you know, they might get into the playoffs. I don't really, you know, I don't get it. And Ohio State's not much different than Auburn. They'll hire whoever. You know, they've had their share of scandals in the past. So every program's a little bit dirty. You know, now it's kind of almost legal to be that way with NIL money. But, uh, you know, those that's a couple of programs that I'm just like, I don't know. And, I mean, there's certain fan bases I don't like, but that's that's just college football. Okay, well, so what, what are the fan bases that you're out on? Oh, well, uh, rival teams aside, because, I mean, obviously I'm out on Tennessee. I'm out on the Tennessee fan base. I, Tennessee Twitter was an absolute laser show after that. Uh, field goal win against Alabama this year. I've never, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen that much uh, smack talk from a single fan base to another on Twitter after that. But I was like, man, you guys won by a field goal. You act like you won by 50. But okay, you know, whatever. Good for you. You're number one. Woo! You know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Took you 16 years. <laughs> I kinda, yeah, I was, yeah, for a week anyway until you played Georgia. But. So I'm kind of out on that, but rival fan bases aside, <laughs> man, it's kind of the same thing. It's so, like Texas is one that I can't. Oh God, Texas and Texas A&M, they're the same fan base for two different schools. <laughs> they they consistently have national championship expectations every year, and they consistently go eight and four or worse. And I'm like, when are you guys gonna learn? Like. But, <laughs> I don't get it. Like, you always hear the constant, is Texas back conversation. And I'm like, back from where? <laughs> They've won one national championship in the last 50 years. Where exactly are they back from? You know, so it's it's very frustrating when you hear that kind of stuff. But they try not to say anything about it, you know, on podcasts or whatever, because it's like, I don't want to be too arrogant. But <sighs> Texas fans, I've spent probably – Days of my life, hours wise, that I will never get back arguing with Texas fans on Twitter. What's the most irrational thing you've heard a Texas fan say? Oh, God. Okay, give us a couple. Because it sounds like you got a few. (laughs) Most irrational thing, man. That's a a tough one. Um, Oh, man. Well, you know. I, I don't know about most irrational, but I'll, I'll say this about Texas fans. Ever since 2009, we've been hearing, well, if Cole McCoy wouldn't have got hurt, Texas would have won the game. You know, the 2009 championship. <laughs> it's like, <sighs> you're still holding on to that, you know? <sighs> I mean, good God, move on, man. You've been through three coaches since then. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So, we heard that for a long time. And now, what's so funny is this: all this time, they've been just crushing SEC people. Like, oh, SEC homers, you're so SEC biased. And now, Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC, and all those people have to shut up forever. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's hilarious. I'm like, oh, so you guys are in the SEC now, sir. So are you biased too? So we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then come next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to talk a little bit more college football. Cut up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 
is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team with their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out now. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. I know, right, folks? It's a great, amazing deal and opportunity. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like with each team will win. Player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost. The bigger boost you shoot, the bigger you win. You win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code TPPN, place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports. We still have Jason with us. So you kind of mentioned this before, and I thought this was interesting. You know, college football, and college sports in general, but particularly for this college football, it's really changing. What are some of the things that you don't like, right, how college football has changed? Well, I think the transfer portal and NIL, being the two primary changes over the last couple of years, have good and bad things about them. I'm all for players making money off their likeness. I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, you shouldn't have to be worried about how you're going to pay for food while you're trying to go to class and play football. I mean, all, all those things are difficult. Like, they're, you know, taking a full load and going to class and going to practice and stuff like that, that's difficult. So I'm all for players making the money off their likeness because, I mean, the university's been profiting millions off of it for years. So good for those players for that. But it opens the door for, you know, dirtbag millionaires and billionaires to throw money at these kids to get them to go to school at a certain place. Like, look at Texas A&M right now. Rumor has it that they paid, you know, millions of dollars for this number one recruiting class they brought in last season and already they've had like five guys jump into the transfer portal you know four and five star dudes not just scrubs that don't play i mean these are big time recruits from last year so they come and get the bag and they take the cash and then the next year they transfer and go wherever else they want to go and try to get more money and it's like that that's good that you're getting paid but is it really good for you as a person you're life plan your what you're studying what you're going to do after football like it's just I, I don't think that anything is being taken into consideration with regard to what's actually good for the players aside from how much am i getting paid because nowadays in the nil, NIL world if you want to get a five-star quarterback you better be coming with nine figures you know over four years <laughs> that's just that's the reality. Like, you better have at least a million dollars a year lined up in NIL money to get it. And so, 
it, it's kind of just opened the door for a lot of inducement and a lot of negative things that go along with the players earning money. And as far as the transfer portal goes, it's sort of the same way. You know, guys, we are, I mean, you know this, Daryl, we live in this generation now of instant gratification. And nobody wants to wait for anything or earn their shot. So it's like I go in as a freshman, I don't play, I'm transferred. Instead of, you know, hey, wait a year, you know, maybe try to earn your shot. You get a shot, you do well, you know, maybe you get drafted high somewhere. But a lot of arguments can be made against that too because coaches constantly move around. You know, you come into one school and your offensive coordinator leaves the following season. Well, now you're screwed. What are you going to do? You don't know the system the next guy's bringing in, and it ends up being bad. Like, I take a perfect example of Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Coming into this season, Tyler Van Dyke was looked at as a first-round draft pick. And since then, no one's heard from him because they got a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach, and he's looked terrible all season and been banged up all season. And it's because of the terrible offensive scheme they run. And so it seriously damaged his draft stock. So he would have been really, you know, much better served to transfer somewhere. So I think there's good and bad with everything that's changing. And you've also got the playoff changes that are coming, you know, which I don't agree with. I think we should stay at four. But it's going to probably go to 12, you know, uh, come uh, 2026. So... I'll make it easier for everybody to get in. More participation, if you will. Participation trophies are always good, aren't they? <laughs> it's the new generation we're coming up in. Uh, you know what is interesting, and I will say, I, I do agree with you, and I do agree with your concerns. Uh, but I think it's, you know, kind of the old line, more money's, uh, more money, more problems. And that's just what it is. Uh, I don't think any of this is necessarily good for the kids or good in building young men in general. Uh, all this money that's just being casually thrown around. Uh, even as well, the coaches, like the coaches don't have to honor their commitment either. That they can leave, they can be with the team, then they're talking to another school. Like, for God's sake, there were, there were reports that Lane Kiffin might be going to Auburn, and Lane Kiffin's at Ole Miss. So, I mean, the coaches don't even, you know, necessarily even yeah, follow that. Of, yeah, they don't follow it, and a lot of that is his agent. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Sexton is putting stuff out there, and I mean, Kiffin's a smart guy, and so is his agent, and they know how to leverage schools in order to get more money out of them. And so what do they do? They put out a bunch of Auburn rumors, and a big war starts, and Kiffin gets a, you know, $2.5 million per year extension. Yeah, so it's, you know, I mean, I think it goes both ways, uh, and it is terrible, I mean. You know, you get $1 million or one school, you know, like, oh, I'm going to transfer and get the bag someplace else. That's not what you want. I do think what they probably need is they probably need a cap on how many times you can transfer. Uh, that's probably the best way to do it. And there probably should start being restrictions on how much money somebody can make uh, and stuff like that. I don't think the the idea of it isn't bad, but there probably should be restrictions. But then I guess if you could put restrictions on what the kids can do, then people would just point it to, well, the coaches don't have any restrictions, right? Then it gets into that whole thing. So it's very tough. Uh, it is very tough. I do think, though, that this is the new world. And, you know, right, when you used to be, you go to a program, you bide your time. 
stay ready so you never have to get ready. You're a junior or a senior, uh, and you play and you play well. Uh, that's just not what it is anymore, and kids know that, and kids want to play. And if they're not playing or there's a disagreement, uh, they're going to bounce. And I think that is up to coaches now. You have to watch how you talk to kids. You have to keep consistent communication, right? If a kid's not playing, he was highly recruited. You need to be in his ear the whole time. Because if you're not in his ear, somebody else will be in his ear. Yeah, you need to be in his ear, but you also need to have enough money to retain him. Because it's not just the money that you have to pay to get these kids to come to your school. It's, you know, current endorsement deals while playing with your team in order to maintain your roster. I mean, Ohio State, Ryan Day, he talked about a, a booster event that he was at, you know, out recruiting. He said, we, we need, you know, about $30 million to keep our roster together. It was either 13 or 30. I can't remember what he said, but, <laughs> like, you have to pay these kids per year now in order to keep them or they'll go and, you look at like a Jordan Addison situation. He's at Pittsburgh. You know, he gets tampered with. He gets, he goes to USC and gets paid big money. So it's a free-for-all, and it's kind of lawless. But I think it will come to an end, like you say, because uh, I spoke to – we actually had her on our podcast. Uh, she's an NIL consultant. Her name's Christy Dawes. You can look her up on Twitter. Um she talked about how if college football eventually breaks away from the NCAA, which, you know, <laughs> it could end up happening for sure because, I mean, the NCAA is basically powerless at this point. I they mean, yeah, they told the SEC they anybody. weren't going to play football, and Greg Stanky was like, well, yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So they, you know, they have no kind of antitrust to protect them, so any rule they make, they face 100 lawsuits with it. So... They're basically powerless, and I think eventually these conferences are going to get together like the SEC and the Big Ten, which is basically what you call the Big Two now. You know, their TV contracts, their schools are making $100 million plus a piece. And I think eventually they'll get together and kind of make a little mini-NFL-type situation where they're paying players. They are able to set their own rules on salaries and salary caps and NIL and all of the above. I mean, if you break away from the NCAA, you know, these entities, I mean, crap, you could even, like, farm out your team to a third-party entity at that point. I mean, it, gets, it starts to get crazy when you think about it. Like, you could have a, a college that basically just sells its licensing for its, to use its logos and uniforms to a semi-pro team, you know? And they, you've got the, you know, the Alabama Crimson Tide brought to you by Amazon.com. So it starts to get pretty wild when you think about if they break away from the NCAA. But by all accounts, I, I don't see the NCAA sticking around with basically having zero power to do anything. I just don't see it. Now, if this was a league situation where, you know, there became a league of all these teams in college football, 30, 32 or so teams, would that just end, like, the whole school part of it? Like, would it just no longer be student-athlete? Like, it's just athlete now? <laughs> like, uh, I think we're already there, to be honest, in a lot of places. You know, maybe not in these smaller schools, but in a lot of these bigger schools, you know, schools like Texas and Alabama and Ohio State, most of these kids don't go to class. They take their classes online. Or they have a note taker. <laughs> and so, 
I think we're kind of within IO money. I mean, you know, most of these kids, at least the big time four and five stars, they're not coming to school, most of them anyway, for, you know, what the school offers in degree programs. They're coming for how much money are you giving me to play ball? And, you know, <laughs> that's it. I mean, you know, what's my, my NFL stock going to look like once I'm here? That, that's really where all the big-time recruits are making their decisions. And so, I, like I said, that's kind of a negative side of NIL money to me. I mean, if I'm a player, I absolutely want to make all the money that I can make. You know, but uh, from an outside-looking-in standpoint, like you, like you kind of said, is it going to build you into a better man uh, to just go to a certain school because they paid you the most? Yeah, I think college football's gone long past that. I, I think they're out of the business of building better money. Uh, Maybe, I don't know that it's going to be gone, Daryl, because there's way too much money in it for it to disappear. I mean, there's just way too much money in it. So I don't think it's going anywhere. It may look a little bit different in 10 years, a lot a bit different, but it's still going to be around because it's just way too much money. I mean, the new TV contracts that the SEC and the Big Ten just signed, you're talking over a billion dollars a year, pushing $2 billion for the Big Ten. So... It's just way too much money in it for uh, for it to go away. Now, if they were to start a uh, one league, how do you think that would be dipped up? Would it just be the Big Ten and the SEC, and then maybe a few other teams? Well, if you look at it, they're going to have sixteen apiece uh, come about twenty twenty five when Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC and USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten. I think it would, I mean, it, you know, this is obviously purely speculation, but to me, if you're going to add schools like that, then it becomes a, a haves and have-nots even more so now than it is because really what you're looking for when you add a team to your conference is TV market value. That's the primary reason that USC and UCLA now play in the Big Ten along with a bunch of other Midwest schools. I mean, can you imagine uh, USC volleyball players they're going to have to get on a plane and fly to New York to play Rutgers. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Game. That's crazy. They're going to I, I, now that now I think they need to figure that out. That's and I think it's what's in, it's, they, it's insanity. They probably need yes. to do is they need to add in more Pac-12 teams because that's and obviously they they, they what am I saying? They probably have the money to do that. But that's I, I think what you're probably going to see you're going to start seeing sports get cut because that's not for the money that it would take to do that and. and you also need to realize this isn't like it's probably going to be a private plane too. Like I don't think people realize how much a private plane caught like six hours there, six hours back. Like that's I, I don't think people realize that for like if you have a school with twenty teams and you're doing that consistently, I so they're either going to have to move some more Pac-12 teams to the Big Ten or like programs are just going to get cut and that's just going to be the economics of it because you can't justify that's millions of dollars for a team that doesn't make any money. Nobody's doing that for the women's volleyball team. That's that that's correct. Yeah, and that's really what. When, uh, you know, now female athletes have probably profited off of No, they're, pro- they're profiting. I don't know if you've heard about the Livy Dunn story, I would, but. <laughs> I would say that I would, I would argue that female athletes are profiting off of NIL more than male athletes are. Because, yeah. I mean, like, take, of course, it's one example, but take the girl at LSU. Yeah, Livy Dunn, the gymnast. The gymnast. You know, yeah. she, she does gymnastics. She's making $3 million a year off her in Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's insanity. So, I, I don't, 
I don't know that those sports will get just completely cut. You know, maybe it evolves into something else. Like, but that's also one girl. Cut. That's one girl, right? Right, and so that is a very, you know, odd situation compared to the rest. However, and she's not going to be putting the bill for the entire team to take the plane ride <laughs> no, with three million. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, no. But like you say, if you want to get bigger and continue to do that, then maybe you go and add an Oregon. You add a Washington so you can get the Seattle TV market. You do that, and then, you know, USC ends up playing the same teams they always play, but instead of, you know, having to fly all the way to Rutgers, you know, as part of the Big Ten, they're just playing the same teams, but they're in the Big Ten Pacific, you know, whatever it ends up being. So as these conferences expand and get bigger, it's just going to be one of the best TV markets that we can get our hands on, who adds value to our league, and it's not going to stop. I mean, eventually, you know, you look at the SEC, maybe they expand further west, maybe they start to go north, who knows? Maybe they grab a Clemson, maybe they go and grab a Miami, I don't know. Florida State would be a good fit there. So there's a lot of, it really just depends on TV markets and TV deals and, you know, the people behind the scenes that are pulling the strings, bottom line, are ESPN and Fox. That's who's pulling the strings of college football and... I mean, that. where's the TV money going every year? And that's what's going to determine how the conferences get shaped and who plays where. So, Matt ruled in Nebraska. How do you think that's going to turn out? Well, Rule, he has, you know, an affinity for rebuilding dumpster fires. You know, he did it at Temple. He did it at Baylor. Conventional wisdom would say he could do it again. Um Things did not go well for him at Carolina. I think he went, what, 13 and 27 in uh, a little over two years there. So NFL is a different game. I would imagine that as long as Nebraska, you know, decides we're going to get really heavy into the NIL space, which to this point they have started to do that, and they get in some players in there, then he'll be fine. I mean, the guy knows how to coach football. You know, he, he did uh, – he got uh, Satterfield from South Carolina to make a lateral move to come be his offensive coordinator. I don't, I don't know how I really feel about that. He was South Carolina's offense has been largely terrible until the last couple of weeks, where they drilled Tennessee and beat Clemson. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's a good move for them. But ultimately, it's going to come down to whether he can get players to come there. That's any school, any coach, whatever. I think Rule's a good coach, and he certainly doesn't need the money. Carolina paid him $42 million just to walk away. So, you know, it's probably a relatively favorable deal for school. You know, not some big buyout or whatever. So, I don't know. We'll see. It would be nice to see Nebraska get back to relevance, though. You know, it's a big-time program, a lot of tradition. Their fans sell out their stadium every game, regardless of how bad they are. So, you know, I hope they do become good again. I, I would love to see it. What do you think of Luke Fickle to Wisconsin? Well, you know, me and Eric, my counterpart on the podcast, we talked about this the other day when we were going over candidates for the current open jobs at the time. And Jim Leonard, we, we both kind of just said, yeah, Jim Leonard's probably going to be the guy. But, you know, I kind of had some questions about it because if you're Wisconsin and you're that bad under Paul Christ and 
you hire from within to replace the bad, like the bad is still there. Like it's like that's that was part of the problem. And so, I mean, would you not want to bring in some fresh perspective from the outside, somebody new, get rid of the bad and get in with, you know, something, let's put some new life into the program, not just the same old thing with the same old message. And that's exactly what Wisconsin did. You know, they went out and got Luke Fickle. I was actually, you know, it's kind of, I thought the only job he would ever leave Cincinnati for was Ohio State. But I, you know, I was a little bit surprised that he took the Wisconsin job. But uh, now I think he'll do well. I think he'll do well wherever he goes. The guy just seems to win wherever he is. So he was excellent at Cincinnati. I mean, he took him to a playoff. So I have no reason to believe that in a Big Ten West that is pretty much ripe for the taking at the moment because all the teams suck. I don't care what anybody says; they all suck. So, I mean, you've got eight and four Purdue that's going to be the sacrificial lamb against Michigan. So, with divisional play ending next year, it kind of, uh, you know, that kind of hurts Wisconsin because now they could draw a year where, you know, they do have to face Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan all in the same season. Whereas here, you know, all these past years, they've only been playing primarily the teams in their own division. And they've been able to avoid at least one of the big three from the other side. So they won't have that luxury every year going forward. But I think Fickle's a guy who can go in there and get it done, man. He's just a hard-nosed defensive dude. You know, offensively, I don't know what kind of scheme they're going to run. But, I mean, it's Wisconsin. I'd be shocked if they deviated too far away and started running the air raid. You know what I mean? (laughs) Under center, hand it off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine it'll be something pretty hard-nosed, just, you know, tough defensive play, just standard Big Ten football. So, I think uh, it's a good hire. Now, what do you think of Hugh Freeze to Auburn? Boy, they'll just hire anybody, won't they? Nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, Freeze, Freeze is a, he's a hell of a coach, man. I, when he was at Ole Miss, I mean, the guy just wins ball games. And, you know, funny note about Hugh Freeze, I mean, our, our podcast that, we, that I'm on, that I run, we, it's about college football betting, and we say all the time that Liberty, for the last like two to three years under freeze, has been the university of residual income because they cover the spread like every week. And so, I'm not mad at you, Freeze, because he's made me a ton of money, but I am mad because now I can't bet on him because he plays, you know, coaches my rival team. So, not gonna bet on Auburn every week, <laughs> but I think it's a good hire from a just pure football standpoint. The guy can recruit, assuming that he's not still going to be, you know, calling an escort service to get kids in there, then I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, (laughs) You know, if if they manage to, you know, continue to get guys in with NIL money, Freeze will get a turnaround there relatively pretty quick. I would imagine they'll be really heavy in the transfer portal, just like every first-year coach is now. So... It's not uh, inconceivable to think that they could, you know, turn around next year and win eight or nine games. I mean, it's just with with today's transfer rules. I mean, look at USC. They went four and eight last year. They got a new coach and a Heisman caliber quarterback, and they're, you know, 11 and one. So it's not inconceivable to think that Auburn could have a big time turnaround in year one under freeze. Now, last question for you. When Nick Saban retires, who would you like to see replace him? Kiffin. 
think he's holding out for the Alabama job. I think that's why he didn't take the Auburn job. I don't think he wants it. I think he wants the Alabama job when Saban retires. And I know a ton of people who are Alabama fans, obviously, that I grew up with or that I work with or whatever. I haven't heard, you know, maybe but one or two people be like, ah, I don't want Kiffin, I'd rather have Dabo. You know, it's like Kiffin or Dabo is the consensus answer because Dabo was a Bama guy, he went to Bama, all of that. But, man, it's just hard not to like Kiffin unless you're a Tennessee fan or a USC fan, I guess. But, you know, if you're an Alabama fan, you pretty much love Lane Kiffin. <laughs> so, he's been fantastic, you know, when he was the offensive coordinator there. I mean, it was just – it was a laser show, man. It was so much fun to watch. You know, I, I would love to see – uh, when Saban decides to hang it up, Kiffin and get a shot at the Bama job, I think he could do really good there. If you think that Lane Kiffin was kind of waiting out this Alabama situation, that must mean that there's some inkling that Nick Saban could be retiring very soon. I think it's possible. There, I really do. I mean, you know, it, it depends. Uh, he's bringing in the number one recruiting class again this next year. So I think he'll do it as long as they keep winning a lot. You know, but if they get to a point where they have a down season or they have a whatever, you know, you could argue this is a down season, but they're two plays away from being 12-0. and 0. And that's what people don't realize. You know, the, the king of the overreactors, the fine bombs out there who say this is a terrible job that Nick Saban, they are two last-second, you know, a, a two-point conversion and a last-second field goal away from being 12-0. and 0. And they had a combined 32 penalties in those games. So, you know, you clean up some simple stuff, you're 12-0. and 0. I just, I, I think it's a massive overreaction to say, oh, well, they're, you know, they're 10-2, so Saban's on his way out. I, I don't see that. I think he's still got a lot left in the tank. And I think he can still coach as long as he wants to. I mean, as long as that guy's there, they will be in the mix every year. And people don't like it. They're tired of it. And I get it. You know, it's like Tom Brady at the Patriots. God, I wish he would just retire. You know, so I understand the fatigue, but I just, it wouldn't shock me to see him retire in two years, and it wouldn't shock me to see him coach six, seven more. I don't know. Six or seven more. Wow. Okay. So Nick Nick is going to push 80. Yeah, he's got, uh, I believe, seven more years left on his contract. I think 20, well, maybe six, I think 20. Yeah, 2029, I believe, is when his contract expires. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, six, seven more seasons there. It wouldn't shock me to see him go to the end of his contract, but it also would shock me to see him hang it up, you know, at the end of next year. So we'll see. Jason, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And once again, I want to thank Jason for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 510th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Met a man wearing a t-shirt, said Virginia.